Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. My guest today is Daniel Malone. He's a founder and content creator at Malone Financial. Uh, so we're going to talk about his work and his YouTube channel. So Daniel, welcome. Thanks for having me, Richard. Yeah, tell me first a bit about your background. How did you get into finances? And then I want to ask you about your current work today. Yeah, it's actually, it's a bit of a weird one. So when I was leaving school and kind of trying to pick university courses to study, I actually had previously no experience with business or finance. And I was kind of looking for, for something that was kind of broad fit into in, in college. I did a I did a business degree at undergraduate level because as I said, it was broad. I then specialized in finance and accountancy, ended up doing a master's in accountancy then after after college and then I ended up working for PricewaterhouseCoopers for just under five years in the asset and wealth management division so looking at auditing the financial statements of some of the biggest investment funds in the world, your Vanguard, your Black Rocks, et cetera. So yeah, I worked wow. there for about five years. Yeah, I, I, during COVID, I kind of started a, a bit of a pandemic project where I started making online financial education content, primarily on YouTube, but later migrated over to TikTok and Instagram and LinkedIn and things like that. So you said you were able to review financial statements from the world's biggest companies. What insights can you talk about from reviewing those? Any unexpected things you saw? Yeah, I mean, I suppose the big thing for me really was, again, kind of based in the investment funds division. So I'm looking at mutual funds, pension funds, ETFs, things like that. I suppose the big thing for me was really just seeing the complexity under the hood and the various different types of investments that can exist within pensions and and mutual funds and things like that. Um, I think when you talk about the investing world in in the day-to-day life, you know, people are kind of just like restricted to like stocks and bonds and things like that. But when you actually look at it from a professional lens and you're looking under the hood and auditing financial statements, you start to see a world of complex derivatives and options and forwards and swaps and all this kind of stuff. So it was really interesting to kind of take my previously novice um, approach to understanding investments and kind of learn more about the the deeper side of things. Well, do the big guys do anything in particular or very sophisticated or they only do what's appropriate for their size or like how would you characterize what they do versus a, you know, a small business in the US, let's say? Yeah, I suppose they kind of just act um, in the best interest of their clients. It, it really depends on, on the particular fund in question. You know, if you had a, like a Vanguard S&P 500 fund, that's a passively managed fund. So they would be tracking the S&P 500 index, whereas we could be looking at a, a more actively managed pension fund to have lots of investment managers at the wheel who are making active decisions about their clients' money and where to allocate it and things like that. I suppose how it differs to, you know, a regular brick and mortar business that obviously you're dealing with investments of people's money as opposed to the sale of goods and services. So definitely a different side of business that people might not be used to, but interesting nonetheless. So what is your current advisory focus on? Who is your current clients that you help? Yeah, so what I do 
as my kind of full-time gig at the moment, as I said, is content creation online. So I wouldn't necessarily have one-to-one clients per se. My clients are technically the entirety of my viewership base. So I've scaled my YouTube channel to nearly 10,000 followers over the last two years. And across all social media channels, I have about 25,000 followers. And I get in the region of 10 to 15,000 views per month on my channel. So I would cover topics from pensions to personal investment portfolios, to saving, budgeting, mortgages, buying a house, things like that. So a lot of my engagement with individual viewers will be in the comment section of videos where they might have questions about the, the content that I've covered. I am a fully qualified financial advisor. I just don't have a licensed practice where, you know, I give formal financial advice in return for compensation. I'm kind of going uh, I suppose a new way about it in terms of making the content free, but then getting paid uh, in the form of ad revenue and partnerships with specific companies. Well, do you have courses that you're making or is it just your ad revenue and everything's free? Yeah, it's, it's pretty much driven by ad revenue and the viewership that I get. Uh, I suppose my two main revenue streams are uh, advertising and then also, as I said, I do uh, like partnerships with brokerage platforms uh, that are operating here in Ireland and in Europe. So um, I would do that. And then I would also do like corporate speaking for the likes of Google and Meta and things like that, where I would talk to their employees about finance and financial decision making and things like that. So it's definitely a different approach to the kind of financial advisory fear. But I definitely think over the next few years with Gen Z coming up the ranks, that's going to kind of revolutionize how I suppose financial advice is delivered and how people consume financial advice as well. Well, what do you see changing recently over the past couple of years in terms of finance? I know it's a very broad question, but what are some things that jump out at you? Yeah, the big thing for me has to be innovation, um, especially here in Europe. Uh, you know, the European investing scene as a whole is much less developed than it is in the US and Canada. There's definitely a cultural shift happening here in Europe as a whole, where people are taking more of an active interest in their investments from a younger age. That's especially true when it comes to pensions and retirement planning as well. So what we're seeing is a lot more fintech startup companies really trying to change the game in terms of how people invest their money. So we're seeing a lot more modernization of investing. Um, whereas you know, just 10 years ago, you know, in, if you were to try to invest in the stock market as an Irish investor or anyone living in Europe, it would be quite complex. The US is definitely far more ahead in terms of the innovation that you guys have over there. But we're seeing a, a lot more startup companies kind of come through the ranks and I suppose democratize investing for Europeans. So innovation has to be the biggest change I've seen over the last few years. What about for individual investors, your audience? What what kinds of things are important for them to look at and consider now with the current economy in Europe and the US? Yeah, I think for me anyway, the biggest learning point over the last three years um, that I've seen people take on is to not get kind of caught up in the hype of what's going on in the short term. You know, 2020, 2021, we saw a lot of people get into crypto and NFTs. And for a lot of people, that was the first time they ever put their money into the financial markets and you know, a lot of people got burned and lost money and they weren't necessarily making sensible investments that made sense in the context of their own personal circumstances. So I think one of the key learning points for my viewers and beginner investors as a whole is that, you know, you really do kind of need to do your own research and make sure that um, the investments that you're selecting are suitable for you. There is an easy way to do that. You can just stick with, with low cost, passively managed index funds as recommended by the likes of Warren Buffett, John C. Bogle before he passed and things like that. So yeah, really not getting caught up in the high doing your research and keeping things simple is probably the, the biggest takeaway. Well, are index funds and things like that, you think uh, a prudent investment right now or, you know, what's your outlook for the, you know, the equity stock market maybe this year? 
Yeah, of course. I think the the beauty of, of my investment approach and, and many others is that I'm a long-term investor. So I, I really, my investment horizon is no less than 10 to 15 years. So I try not to get overly concerned about what's happening in the short term. I think it's very difficult to predict, you know, accurately what way the stock market is going to go in the short term. But for index fund investors, we don't really care because, you know, your investments are so diversified. Even if you're in an S&P 500 fund, you're, you're diversified across the top 500 companies in the US, but you can equally be in an all world index fund or European index fund. So I definitely think, you know, how the Federal Reserve, the European Central Bank and the Bank of England, you know, react to, to changing inflation data that affects interest rates is obviously going to affect the valuation of equities, given the, the intrinsic link between equity valuations and interest rates. But I think people, the average investor doesn't really want to consider their investments on a day-to-day basis. They kind of want to just put their money somewhere where they know that over the long term, it's going to grow quite reliably based on historical data. And I think index funds are the way to do that. So yeah, I wouldn't get overly concerned about what's happening in the short term. It's still relevant and good to know what's happening. But for me, a long-term focus is what's required. I go with any focus. You have a time horizon. So if yours is, let's say, 10 years, what trends do you think are going to develop over the next 10 to 15 years? And where can people position themselves? Or it's just so impossible to tell, really, index funds the only way to go. Yeah, I think a great example of this is is the likes of uh, Kathy Wood's suite of ETFs and mutual funds with Arc Innovation, where where those guys are kind of trying to pick the the big winners of tomorrow, um, in terms of AI and other kind of technical companies who are innovating in new in new spaces. But I think it's it's really hard to know where things are going to be in twelve months' time, let alone ten years' time. I think we can have some pretty good indications as to what industries are ripe for disruption and what industries will emerge from new technologies. It's hard to know, you know what companies are going to be included in the likes of the S&P 500 in 10 years time. I think I would take solace in the fact that, you know, there's over a hundred years worth of data that says that, you know, if you just invest consistently, pretty much no matter what happens um, in terms of the macro environment and what companies come and go, you know, if, if you do stick to the high quality index funds, you are going to do well. But yeah, I think no industry is safe from disruption these days, especially with the advent of AI and how that's going to impact various industries. So yeah, it'll certainly be interesting to see, but I don't have an answer as to as to what I think it will look like in 10 years. What are some of the topics that you teach on that have been very popular or well-received on your channel? Yeah, I think for me, the most popular topic is probably retirement planning. I think we hear so much bad news in terms of retirement planning here in Ireland and indeed in Europe in terms of our aging population and how you know, the vast majority of Europeans aren't on track for a financially comfortable retirement and the risk of poverty and things like that. So I think I get a lot of attention in terms of how not only young people, but just people who are in their 40s, 50s, and even 60s, how they can kind of take steps to ensure that they're doing the most they can for their financial well-being and retirement. So whether that's understanding what investments to make within their pensions, to how they actually go about drawing down that money in retirement and living off of it. Yeah, retirement seems to be a really, a really popular topic that I cover. Whenever I make a video on it, the viewership tends to do quite well. Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit findinggeniuspodcast.com and click on support us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, 
the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. Well, what are some of the nuances of retirement planning that are unique to you versus maybe standard advice? Yeah, I think for me, the avoidance of lifestyle creep can't be overemphasized. So lifestyle creep is effectively where, you know, let's say you're contributing 5% of your gross salary to a pension or a retirement fund. And then over time, over 10, 15 years, you experience increases in your salary as you progress through your job or whatever you might be doing in your occupation. But instead of allocating more money to your retirement fund, you go and spend it on things that you may not need you might increase your standard of living when you technically can't afford it and then your kind of future investments get neglected so while i think there's a lot of content around you know where to put your money and what to invest in and things like that i don't think the effects of lifestyle grief are discussed as much as they should be because i feel like people tend to take a very short term and myopic view on their retirement planning whereby they say, okay, I'm really interested in my retirement right now. And for the next two years, I'm going to do really well in terms of maximizing my contributions to my retirement fund and things like that. But then over time, you know, they tend to slip in terms of their discipline. So really staying consistent for long periods of time, investing in your retirement fund is, is one of the best pieces of advice I can give. Yeah, but if you, know, you tell people to live beneath their means and save and save and save, I mean, what's the end point? They, let's say, okay, they're 65, now they want to retire. But now it's like, okay, well, still don't splurge. Still be careful because you get to shepherd your money for the rest of your life and make sure it lasts. Yeah. I don't know. Um, you know, when when did people get to relax and spend what they were? Yeah, for sure. For most it's, it's an interesting one because I definitely agree. I subscribe to the mentality that obviously you, you need to live your life and you need to enjoy experiences and, and spend money as needed. I think there is balance to be struck when you're working. And I think that sacrifices naturally do have to be made if you want to live the retirement that many people do and for many people that will just be maintaining their standard of living from pre to post retirement in terms of like when you know you kind of get to take a break from the investing and taking your cash and enjoying it and stuff like that it really comes down to the person i mean i would be of the mentality that if at all possible you should continue your your investing journey all the way through your retirement and yes you can obviously draw down your retirement fund and enjoy it and things like that but if you're getting into things like estate planning and figuring out if you want to like leave a sizable sum of money to your children or your spouse or whatever like oh, things like that i think the considerations around investments in retirement still become relevant throughout life i don't think it's a case of okay i'm gonna invest until i'm 60 and then i'm done and then happy days and I'll live off of my retirement fund because for a lot of people if you're not invested through retirement you're probably going to run out of money if you're not careful so having it stayed invested in the stock market or wherever it would be bonds cash uh, at least then you're getting some amount of growth and you can kind of maintain the value of your fund over time right. any other hot topics that you have to address or you want to address or you think it's important to address on your channels? The two p- biggest pieces of advice I always give on the channel is because I'm, investing is kind of the, the core topic that I cover. It, it's really the premise of the channel. People always ask me, you know, where do I start? And a lot of the time they're like, oh, you know, I have this amount of money in a bank account and I'm looking at this, this and this. And, you know, the one thing I always say is if you can maximize your investments into your retirement fund and get all of the great tax benefits that obviously vary from country to country, you know, if you can maximize that, that and then after you do that, if you still have money left over, then and you can kind of look into investing in ETFs and index funds in your own personal retirement, you know, your own personal investment portfolio. So, you know, that's really the core piece of investing advice that I would give. In terms of other kind of hot topics, I mean, 
look, we could talk about that. I know housing and, and mortgages, things like that is a very important topic on my channel, but it varies so much from country to country because the, the housing market here is completely different to, to where it would be in the US or Canada or even in England across the water. So yeah, it, it certainly varies, but there's a lot of interesting topics there. What about for employed people or entrepreneurs, you know, solo 401ks or, or other instruments they'd have over in Europe? Are there many of those? Do you discuss them? Yeah, I suppose it, we're, we're kind of envious of the 401k um, over here in Ireland because our, our retirement system is is much less developed and you have much less options than you guys do over in the States. For self-employed people, fortunately, there are some good tax advantages associated with retirement funding. For example, over here, you can contribute a lot of money out of your business into your pension fund for the benefit of the business owner and you can pretty much avoid paying tax that way. Obviously, the drawback is that once the money goes into the pension, it can't be accessed until at least age 50, but it allows the entrepreneur to avoid any kind of income taxes or corporate taxes that they may have to pay on the money um, by contributing to a pension. So that's definitely a, a positive that exists over here. But yeah, pensions are definitely an important vehicle for, for self-employed and, and entrepreneurs. I think as well, you know, the, the actual tax benefits and correctly structuring your company as an entrepreneur is something that I get asked about quite a lot because you have a lot of people who will get involved in a, co-founding or founding position and um, they'll do quite well in the business and then they'll go to exit and then they'll realize oh I didn't set up the company correctly or I didn't do the most tax efficient structure and then we'll end up with a nice large tax bill at the end so yeah it's uh, kind of trying to traverse the waters of entrepreneurship in the most tax efficient way possible is uh, also an interesting topic all right well very good uh, Daniel uh, what's the name of your channel where can people find out more about your work your channel where can they find you yeah, so I'm just at Manal Financial everywhere. YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, LinkedIn, uh, Facebook as well. Um, as I said, on YouTube, I do primarily long-form content. And then on TikTok, Instagram, LinkedIn, I would do short-form content. So kind of your 30 to 60 second bite-sized information. So yeah, if, if anyone out there is, is looking for some primarily European-focused financial discussions, then check me out. Um, I do tend to make some US-based content, but not a whole lot because there's a lot of great guys over there doing that already. So yeah, I try to cater to my European audience. Okay. Well, very good. Daniel, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thanks, Richard. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.